The EY Ireland CEO Outlook Report is out now. Search ey.com slash ie slash CEO and discover the key topics on the minds of Ireland's leading CEOs. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. This week we're looking at tourism and air travel. Both have rebounded strongly this year after two years of pandemic restrictions. But both have also faced major issues around pricing, staffing and the availability of products. Hotelier Lorraine Sweeney and Mark Paul of the Irish Times join me in a few moments to discuss the many issues facing the hospitality sector. Later in the show, aviation expert Joe Gill of Goodbody Stockbrokers will give me an update on how airlines around Europe are faring. He'll also give me his views on the queues at Dublin Airport and how it might affect our competitiveness as a tourist location and also the wider economy. We start with hospitality. An influx of Ukrainian refugees recently has resulted in thousands of hotel bedrooms effectively being taken out of the system. With tourists returning to the country, this has led to a rise in prices, with some accusing the industry of price gouging. Meanwhile, staff shortages have emerged across the system and issues around car rental have left many visitors frustrated. Mark Paul of the Irish Times and hotelier Lorraine Sweeney join me now to discuss these and other issues. Now, Mark Paul, a lot of focus in the last few days on the problems at Dublin Airport and people having to queue for hours and hours uh, outside the terminal buildings to get in and get on a flight and get out of this country. But we're actually having problems in the domestic tourism trade here as well, from a lack of hotel rooms, a lack of rental cars and staff shortages, which have been well trailed, I think, at this stage. And uh, this is something you've been writing about quite a bit over the past couple of weeks. And you had a column recently uh, about this. And you're saying that it's it, it has been made worse by our own bad decisions over the past uh, couple of years. Explain that. Well, I, I think what it proves, Kieran, is that you can't um, just cryogenically freeze an entire industry um, um, for months and months and months at a time during the pandemic and expect it to reopen back again um, exactly the same as it was when it went in. Um, you're going to end up with uh, with, with with problems in the sector. And um, 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 it, these are these are distortions um, that that uh, that have been made worse than by some bad decision making around that. Um, I mean, just to give you an example in the, in the hotel sector, um, I I don't know if you've noticed over the last couple of years, but even before the pandemic, there was a kind of a an anti-hotel development culture was building up um, um, in political circles, particularly in left-wing political circles and also in some policy-making circles. Do you remember the No More Hotels campaign? There was a campaign in Dublin um, where Dublin city councillors actually succumbed to the campaign and voted to limit hotel development in the city. Now, I mean, we have no more hotels now, but not, not, not in the way that those campaigners meant. Those campaigners ran a political campaign suggesting that there was too many hotels being built um, and that this was the cause of the housing crisis and the cause of the lack in cultural spaces and then if only we stopped building hotels that all those problems would help to be solved. Now of course that was nonsense. What we've got now is, 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 is a, a situation where we don't have enough hotels, we've had an anti-hotel development culture and, and all of that was made worse by bad decision making around that campaign. I mean to give you a, a specific example, in Sean McDermott Street, one of the most deprived parts of Dublin city centre, there was a company, a Japanese company a number of years ago called Toyoko Inn who were going to build um, a tree 300 bedroom hotel. They were going to invest something like 60 or 70 million euros in it uh, in one of the most deprived parts of the city. But it was on the site of an old Magdalen Laundry on Sean McDermott Street. Now, there was going to be a memorial put in as part of it. Um, now, some of the old residents of the Magdalen Laundry objected to that. And then a campaign built up to try and have a, a sort of a site of conscience or something built or a museum or something built there instead. What, it, what you ended up with was that there was no hotel development in the end because the councillors voted against it. And the weeds have grown about eight foot higher on the site. And um, there's no memorial. Memorial um, to, 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 for the Magdalen Laundries on that side. So 
Bad decision making has exacerbated the shortage of hotels in Dublin city centre. Um, and, and then uh, there's a, another problem around hotels at the moment, um, around the refugee crisis. I mean, we have two separate refugee crises um, that are impacting upon the hotel sector. Um, one is the, 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 I suppose, the, the Ukrainian refugee crisis. Um, up to at one stage, more than 4,000 hotel rooms um, earlier this year were taken out of the system. Uh, in Dublin, mainly, in order to uh, uh, house Ukrainian refugees. And then, aside from that, but even before the Ukrainian crisis started, the state was already block-booking entire hotels to, to accommodate people on direct provision. Um, now, look, obviously, people fleeing war and misery, they need somewhere to stay, but there's always going to be a consequence when you take so many hotels and so many hotel rooms out of the system. And that, I think, is having one of the biggest impact on rates in the market. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm not suggesting that it's bad decision-making around that, um, but, 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 but what I am saying is that there are consequences for the sector when you take thousands of hotel rooms out of the uh, out of the sector and, uh, and and we're seeing the consequences of that now and then and then the, the the third thing i suppose that we're seeing the consequences of and bad decision making is um um just this decision during the pandemic at every uh, every time that there was a surge was to automatically shut down the entire industry and to shut down uh, the entire hospitality sector and the consequences um, um, of doing that are that when you reopen it, it's not the same as it was before and there's economic scarring. So all of these things have come together for a kind of a perfect storm at the moment and the hospitality sector is, uh, is feeling the effects of it. Yeah, of course. Now, the government wasn't to blame for the uh, pandemic. You might blame them for some of the restrictions, but they weren't to blame for the pandemic. And, and obviously something had to be done. And other industries are experiencing the staff shortages uh, that are being felt in the hospitality sector. Coming into the pandemic, I don't have the exact figure here in front of me, but there were a huge number of uh, hotels either uh, in the process of being built or in the uh, in various stages of of planning for for Dublin, and it did kind of have the look of maybe um, you know a bit of overkill at that point. Yes, but, but there was there was upwards of four or five thousand hotel rooms, maybe actually maybe, maybe a little bit more, um, and that had planning permission. But they weren't all going to get built because um, having planning permission doesn't mean uh, you're going to get those hotel rooms built. You have to have finance. You have to have um, you know you have to have equity backers for the development. You have to have all of that in place. Um, and a lot of those planning permissions were speculative in nature. Um, um, but um, yeah, look, the, the, there, there was a lot of them being built. Um, but uh, you know the 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 expansion that was. Um, predicted for the tourism sector and for uh, and, and for the economy generally suggested that they were all going to be used at some point um, and uh, and and you know preventing hotels being built doesn't mean necessarily that anything else is going to be built on that site it doesn't mean that it's going to solve the housing crisis i've i've often thought and i've written often that 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 people conflated those problems with the hotel sector and and the hotel sector became quite an easy target i thought i, I think politicians see the tourism and hospitality industry as you know going on your holidays they don't often see it as one of ireland's biggest indigenous exports an industry that employs more than a quarter of a million people and it's never tr- I, I i just think this is a personal view that it doesn't get the fair planning and, 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 and treatment in the system that it deserves. And what about car rentals then? Because they have shot up as well. You know, lots of stories of people looking to book cars for a week or two weeks in Ireland and they've been charged a couple of grand for a week, uh, which, you know, it's just extraordinary. Michael Healy Ray and um, the TD from Kerry making the point that you'd nearly be better off flying into the country, buying a car and just leaving it on the side of a road before you leave. 
Yeah, car, car, car rental companies are almost like finance companies. They have these huge fleets of cars and they have to finance those cars. They have to finance their balance sheets. And when you shut up, shut down all the borders in the country as we did, for, you know, practically for more or less for, 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 for the best part of two years. Um, and you've got like, you know, if you're a car rental company with three or four or 5,000 cars and you have to fund those in your balance sheet and you've got nobody coming in over the border to fill them, what do you do? You sell off those cars um, because you can't fund them. And then when you need them again, you can't buy them back because you don't have any funding and you can't get the cars because they're not being made quickly enough. And that's what's happened in the car rental sector. It's just a straight up shortage of cars. And so car rental companies have decided that, okay, well, if I only have half the fleet that I need or a quarter of the fleet that I need, I'm going to make sure I make a hell of a lot of profit on it because the demand is there. And that's what's happening. Um, um, Car rental companies had to sell off their fleets during the pandemic. And then when it comes back to the industry, back to full demand again, they didn't have enough cars. They can't buy them back quickly enough. They're not able to fund buying them back quickly enough. So they've decided to make as much profit as they they can on the cars that they have. And it's very, very unfortunate for anybody who's been quoted two or three grand to rent a family car for a week in the summer. I mean, it's it's obscene. Um, But it's another distortion that was caused by the restrictions put in place to deal with the pandemic. And the restrictions in Ireland were always tougher than everywhere else. And we got no virus benefit from that. Um, But what we did get was a badly scarred hospitality industry. Lorraine Sweeney, you have three uh, hotels open to the public at the moment. Uh, Wilton and Bray, Summerhill and Pariscore uh, Springs in Enniskerry. Now, we're hearing about a, a substantial bounce back in the hotel trade um, since lockdown restrictions were removed. And some figures recently from SDR showing that the Irish occupancy rate uh, over uh, about 81%. And only Britain and Poland, I think, among European countries were performing better than that level. So tell us a little bit about your experience um, since you've been able, since restrictions have been lifted and you've been able to open fully. Yes, uh, Kieran, thanks for that. Um, I, I didn't accept the STR figures, actually, when Mark published them a number of weeks ago, because I don't see what data they'd be using to judge the um, Irish tourism market at the minute. Because the market is distorted by the income of refugees over the first um, over the last five months, let's say, of the year. So um, the, the world is on the move post pandemic. There's no doubt about that. There's everybody wants to travel. I, I myself took my first trip two weeks ago and I'm about to take another one in a couple of weeks. So everybody's on the move. Uh, hence, we see the chaos at Dublin Airport, which is neither good for incoming traffic nor outgoing traffic. And that's a serious problem that we all have to get over somewhere or another. Uh, to, to touch on the car rental business, first of all, like the car companies were able to sell their cars when they had no customers. Uh, it, it, um, we as hoteliers were not able to sell our rooms. We had to keep them. We had to maintain them. Um, in most cases, we had to uh, renovate them during the times we were closed. So in other words, they were able to get away with selling their cars and not having the cost of having them during the pandemic. But meantime, the tourism business is dramatically affected by the closures of the last two years. Open, close, open, close was a very difficult time for us in the hotel business. Uh, Yes, there is a bounce back. Yes, the rates are high. Yes, people are critical. But I object to the terminology of of gouging in the hotel market. All we're trying to do is there's a market force out there. It's demanding more rooms than are available at the present time. And we're, we're charging accordingly. Now, it is distorted by the fact that Uh, They say 4,000 hotel rooms are taken up by Ukrainian refugees. And I do have an issue with this in some instances because there are towns in Ireland that have no hotel rooms available to tourism. And that has to be very bad for other businesses, let's say restaurants and pubs and, uh, you know, various tourism amenities that they cannot uh, 
get the use of uh, tourists can't use because there's no rooms for to accommodate tourists in those areas. So that that's a big problem around rural Ireland. And in some cases, in, Dub- in per- certain parts of Dublin, there are too many rooms occupied by Ukrainian refugees. We took the decision that we would split our hotel in, in Bray. We took them into Ukrainian refugees into one hotel, not three. And we, we took one third of those rooms to accommodate Ukrainian refugees, two thirds are set aside for tourism and corporate business. Right. So we'll come to refugees in a moment, but just talk to me about your your average rate at the moment. If I want to book a room um, in one of your hotels at the minute, uh, and I know it varies night to night and all that kind of stuff, but on average, what am I what am I likely to pay, and what what would I have paid for that same room in two thousand and nineteen? Um, you're probably not talking very much different between now and the price of 2019. Um, you're probably talking somewhere between 150 and 200 euro for two adults uh, bed and breakfast in, uh, say, a three star hotel, three plus star hotel. Um, check that out in Dublin city centre. I, I did it myself this morning. I had a look at it. And uh, for, for, for that same room in a jury's inn, you're going to pay 350 euro. Um, you know, in, in, in my area, in, in Wicklow, it's, it's the norm. It's a, somewhere between 150 and 200 euro. So, I mean, that 350 euro um, sounds like a lot of money for, uh, for a jury's in. I'm not sure it's called jury's in anymore, by the way. I think that brand has, has gone or is going anyway. But I think we know the hotels um, you're speaking of. So they're kind of in the three star market and they're, you know, they're pretty, they're pretty basic. 350 euro a night sounds to a lot of people, that, that would sound like price gouging. Well, I'm I'm sorry to say, uh, you know, if you were to book it in London, uh, you know, and uh, you're booking in a capital city in Dublin and you were to do the same in London, you'd pay a pro rata price for staying in and around the city of London or Paris or Berlin. The prices are high in the city centre and on the outskirts of it. And when you go to, a, you know, a, an area 30 or 50 miles away, then you get a cheaper price. And, and that is what happens. And it also depends on the time. I mean, if you try to book a Sunday night, you'll definitely get cheaper than you will get on a Friday or Saturday night. So it's it's supply and demand, Kieran. Um, and, and the supply is light for the various reasons. I agree with a lot of what Mark said, that there wasn't long term thinking about the effects of the hotel industry in, in how we dealt with the pandemic and also in how we are dealing with uh, the the occupying of hotels by Ukrainian refugees. In fact, um, I'm now of the opinion that uh, we should call a halt to how many Ukrainian refugees we, we bring in, because if we, uh, Ireland has brought in 30,000 refugees, which is 0.5% of our population of um, 5 million people. On a pro rata basis, France and UK should have brought in 300,000 refugees, and both of them have brought in 60,000 refugees. So we've a disproportionate number of refugees occupying hotel bedrooms. And it's not by any plan or, or, you know, strategic objective. It's just who'll take them, you get them. And for how long, we don't know. And it leaves huge doubt over the future of the hotel industry. So I agree with a lot of the points Mark has made there, that it's um, emergency stuff going on for the last three months and, and no long term plan. Well, these people have been displaced by war. I'm sure they don't want to be in Ireland. I'm sure they, they'd rather be living uh, in their own homes in Ukraine and I guess uh, it wouldn't be a very charitable act to say, well, we're not we're not taking any more, would it? And I think the Irish population is, is very much behind the government in, in welcoming uh, Ukrainians uh, to our shores. Hopefully it's only for a relatively short stay. 
Well, uh, Kieran, you won't get anybody more charitable now than you will get me. I, I'm extremely charitable person and I have prioritised the Ukrainians that are is 100 people that are staying in my hotel. They've had huge support and, and welfare and uh, support of every nature. So um, I, I'm, I'm a, a, a humanitarian person, but I will say um, of late, I've come to the opinion that, um, first of all, they're bringing in people and there is no wraparound services for them. We have taken uh, children that have illnesses that cannot be treated. We have one woman with a heart condition that got an appointment for uh, May of 2024. So like... Ireland is welcoming these people, but Ireland is not welcoming them into their homes, I should tell you, because they're leaving it to the government to place them. There are people on camp beds. There are people in bunk beds, in dormitories. And whilst Ireland is behind the government bringing them in, they're not doing very much about taking them into their homes, I can assure you. Yeah, I don't have any stats on that now, and I'm not sure that you do either. I know one of my neighbours has uh, has taken in some refugees, and I'm sure other people uh, around the country have as well. And um, we'll just maybe just move back to uh, to rates. A lot of people would say you mentioned um, juries in, as you said, uh, 350 euros a night. A lot of people would wonder why the industry needs a special VAT rate of nine percent when uh, it can charge rates like that. Well, certainly it needs a special VAT rate because for the last two years, this very capitally intensive business has been on its knees. Uh, We opened and closed about six times. Um, the, The bulk of our business was completely wiped out. And even when we did reopen, the rates we got were so low that we all lost money. So hotels have hemorrhaged over the last two years. And in order to put the hotel industry back on its feet again. It needs um, support of the government. As Mark pointed out in his statements that uh, the hotel industry has suffered more than other industries because of the nature of it. It's like an airline seat. Airlines also suffered during that period. And in order for it to bounce back, um, those rates that we're quoting are a Friday or a Saturday night at the peak of the season. There's the rest of the year. There's the Sunday nights. There's the Novembers and the Februarys. It's a short season for hoteliers and they just have to take the best advantage while they can. But it won't bounce back quickly, believe you me. Uh, you, you know, we have to spend on our on our hotels. Let's say, give you an example. My insurance bill in one hotel is 100,000 a year, right? That didn't change during the pandemic, even though we had absolutely no guests. So where do we get the money to pay that 100,000? We had no guests, we had no claims and we had little or no income and we still had to pay. There was no no leniency whatsoever by the insurers. We still had to pay the same amount of money. So a lot of our bills still came through. We still had to heat the buildings. You can't let them lie cold or everything will go damp and so on. So the maintenance and the upkeep was all the same. The un- the, the, we suffered loss of income and we, we obviously we got a wage subsidy. But so did everybody else, and they don't have the same capital intensive business that the hotel sector has. Yeah, sure. I know the government uh, obviously gave a break on commercial rates as well, and and there were various uh, supports provided. Uh, I'm just wondering if um, I hear what you're saying about, you know, the hotel industry playing catch up for a couple of years of lost income. But is there a danger that visitors who come to this country um, are going to feel that they've been that, you know, they have they've been subject to very high prices and they won't come back again. Well, I don't think so. I think Ireland is a particularly attractive place to come. I think it's eco-friendly. It's uh, it's welcome-friendly. Uh, we provide very good services. It's a wonderful place to holiday. And I think, uh, yes, there are times when, when it's a bit expensive. So you come off peak. 
Uh, like I know from early this year, city centre has been absolutely hammered with tourists and you know, they're coming at not necessarily just the high season. They're coming, you know, uh, like April, May, June. We've had a lot of people in in city centre of Dublin. And I was asking myself, where are they coming and where are they staying? But, you know, pe- people will still come to Ireland. And yes, they'll accept, as we do if we go to New York, that it's a bit pricey, but I still want to get there. So I think uh, if we can at all keep our prices at, a, at an even keel and as we recover uh, financially, maybe we will be able to do that into the future in the hotel sector, that the prices won't may, uh, remain quite as high. I think we do need new stock and the cost of construction. I, I have recently got planning permission on Bray Front for a site that for 10 years we had 10 refusals on and we finally got planning permission for to put in a 32-bedroom apart hotel. I'd love to build it, but the cost of construction now is, is the next phase and let's see Will we be able to afford to run a hotel at the cost of building that hotel? And and as you know, construction costs have gone up significantly in the last number of years. Mark, uh, um, is competitiveness under threat in the Irish tourism market at the moment? Although the pandemic from a sort of a public health point of view is kind of not over, but it's sort of off the agenda in a way. The impact of the pandemic is still rippling through the industry. But yes, competitive is go- competitiveness is going to be a problem. The Irish industry, uh, uh, you know, sort of towards the end of the Celtic Tiger years and, 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 and shortly thereafter, it got in a little bit of difficulty um, because um, of perceptions that it had become such a, a kind of a high cost destination and fought Ireland and the tourism sector and, 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 and tourism authorities. They worked hard with the industry to try and um, to try and, and solve those issues but what really happened then is you know you had a massive recession and um, that uh, that kind of solved all those in, in, in a very very brutal way solved a lot of those problems um, um, overnight um, and I, I think if you look back through through economic history when you have periods of very very high inflation it's usually followed at some stage by a recession or a downturn if some sort of a recession or a downturn does come in terms of the global economy or in Europe or even just in Ireland um, um, then I think a lot of these pricing issues and competitiveness issues um, may end up being sorted. I'm not advocating that we need to have a recession or anything like that. I mean, people suffer in a recession. They lose their jobs and there's misery for families and for workers and so on. Um, but if there is a recession, um, um, I think a lot of the uh, the competitiveness issues will be ironed out. Ireland has a very, very, very good tourism product. I mean, the the physical product in Ireland's in Ireland's hotels is very very good. Irish hotels are very well invested generally, um, and you know it's as Ryan said it's a you know it's a, a kind of an eco friendly country or it has that perception of greenness and people come here for that. And um, we have very 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 good air connectivity. Um, with the rest of the world, albeit it was dismantled during the pandemic, but a lot of it is being rebuilt. Um, so look, the basics are there for the Irish tourism industry to recover and to recover well into the future. Um, where I see a, a kind of a blot on the horizon is how all of that melds in with climate change. And that's going to be a big factor over the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years with the sector. Um, because eventually, um, as all the lower hanging fruit for reducing emissions um, gets used up, governments will turn to things like aviation and to travel and to international travel and they'll say well now we have to reduce the emissions there and we're going to slap big taxes on flights and that will affect the Irish tourism industry I think quite badly. All right Lorraine Sweeney and Mark Paul thank you for joining us. Okay we're going to take a short break now when we return Joe Gill of Goodbody Stockbrokers will join me to talk about the rebound in business for airlines so far this year. Back in a few moments. With increasing pressures Ireland's CEOs are working hard to navigate the rapidly evolving business landscape. 
The EY Ireland CEO Outlook Report takes a deeper dive into the topics that are on the minds of Irish CEOs at the moment, and importantly, the issues that leaders should be paying attention to. Discover the key actions to consider as you seek to reshape the future of your organisation at ey.com slash ie slash CEO. Welcome back. This is Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. Now, airlines across Europe have been reporting a surge in summer bookings after a two-year hiatus due to COVID. Joe Gill, a good buddy stockbrokers, has been covering the sector for many years, and he joined me to discuss the rebound in activity. I began by asking him to outline how airlines have been performing this year. Thanks, Kieran. I suppose it's best described as saying that demand has come back up to where it was in 2019. And looks like it may move on from there. So that's been evident now for a number of months since COVID settled. It's obviously been a little bit interfered with by the geopolitical situation in uh, Eastern Europe and also the fact that COVID continues to be a major issue in China. But outside of that, if you look especially at short haul markets across uh, the Americas, across Europe, you will find that demand has come back up to 2019 levels. And if you look at the long term correlations between GDP and air travel. Typically, air travel grows in line with GDP. So uh, given that we've lost two years in 2020 and 2021, actually, demand is probably going to outpace 2019 levels fairly quickly, assuming that COVID is uh, manageable at a global level. And also assuming we don't have a global recession and there are no guarantees of that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you're looking forward into the next six, 12 months, the two kind of concerns for the industry would be, one, the persistent uh, level of oil prices and how that translates into jet fuel costs, because jet fuel can be as much as 40% of the operating costs of an efficient airline. And secondly, energy and food inflation is so pronounced at the moment, if that continues for a number of quarters, it could lead to a consumer recession. And if you've got a negative uh, GDP number globally, then that certainly would interfere with air travel demand as well. Now, how are the two Irish airlines doing, Air Lingus and Ryanair? I, I seem to recall you working for Ryanair in an advisory capacity uh, some years back when it was trying to take over Air Lingus, actually. That's correct. Um, I would say both of them are are doing relatively well. Um, Ryanair has come out of this in a pretty strong position. They've used COVID to go back and renegotiate an awful lot of their cost lines, whether it's with airports or with staff or with services. Um, and that means they're very well equipped to encounter the kind of growing demand that's there. They've also ordered a lot of new aircraft, which are more efficient um, in terms of cost, uh, on top of which they're probably environmentally more uh, constructive as well. So that package, if you like, is hyper competitive at the moment. They've got a fuel hedge in 2022, which most of their competitors don't have, especially their direct low cost competitors. So you put it in combination, they, they they said just two weeks ago that they're looking at a pretty strong summer. They're going to be generating a lot of cash. They're going to take down the debt they had to take on board through COVID uh, pretty aggressively. And they're, um, they're set to have a debt-free balance sheet probably within two years if current trends prevail. Aer Lingus, um, part of the IAG group, means that they're well protected from what happened in COVID. Uh, IAG has a strong balance sheet, so they're able to support them. The Irish government has been supported through, through ISAF as well. So both airlines are in reasonably good shape, but they came into COVID among the strongest airlines financially of any in Europe uh, because of the IAG ownership in Aer Lingus's case. And just historically, Reiner has run a, a very low debt balance sheet. So um, they're relatively well placed. 
And is transatlantic coming back strongly, uh, Joe, which is particularly important for our lingus, isn't it, from a profit point of view? It is. I mean, if you go back over the past 30 or 40 years, typically when, when the transatlantic was strong, Aer Lingus did very well. And when the transatlantic was poor, they really, really struggled financially. We're seeing recovery. I would say that uh, American tourism into Europe will be affected at the margin by what's happening in, in the Ukraine. And I also think that if we are facing into some form of a consumer recession in the back end of the year, you would be concerned about the level of demand that may come through in winter 22 and into 23. But as things stand right now, relative to where we were over the past two years, transatlantic demand is strong. Uh, and you can see that Erlingus is adding more and more kind of destinations and routes over the past month or so. Uh, and that would suggest that their own forecasts are, are fairly encouraging. Joe, we've seen horrendous queues at Dublin Airport in recent times. People having to queue for hours outside the terminal building and a lot of people missing flights. We know last week, on one particular day, something like a thousand people missed their flights. It's not just happening at Dublin Airport. There are horror stories in Britain too and across continental Europe as well. What impact is that going to have on air travel and particularly on the airlines? I mean, the airlines have been accused in Britain by some politicians of gouging customers, putting on flights that they know full well that they're not going, you know, that they're going to end up cancelling. Um, and we all know how difficult it is to get your money back or to change your booking with an airline. Well, I, I suppose, first of all, the velocity of recovery and demand has, has probably taken the whole system by surprise. I mean, there was no way if you go back about six months ago and you forecast what was going to happen now, you'd struggle to come up with the numbers that are actually coming through in terms of demand. Like demand is exceptionally strong in terms of the rebound for the summer of 22 at the very least. So the entire system and especially the ground-based systems like airports and ground services, which had really kind of um, spooled down in, in, in a significant way through COVID and taken a lot of people out of their systems, they have struggled. And as you said, it's not just an Irish problem. It exists in the UK. It exists in parts of continental Europe. You would hope that um, a lot of... Um, Initiatives they're taking in terms of uh, pretty aggressive levels of recruitment will solve this over time. But there's a couple of kind of obstacles in the way. In the UK, particularly, Brexit has interfered with the availability of mobile uh, labour, especially from, say, Central Europe that typically would come into uh, the UK economy. That seems to be uh, a blocking item. And in Ireland, because you've got such a strong economy currently in terms of employment and what's happened in the DAA, uh, has left it in a pretty tricky situation in the short term. Um, I'm absolutely convinced that uh, the Defence Forces should be brought to bear here uh, in an Irish context. I think we have a unique situation here. Air travel is more important to the economy of the Republic than it is for any other economy in Europe. It's not just about holidaymakers. It's about the tourism industry inwards. It's about migrant workers who you know move out of Ireland during the week or come from abroad into Ireland during the week. And they have to have access and connectivity with their families. And there's trade. And the fact is that we export a huge amount of uh, goods and services uh, using our air transport systems. And the analogy I draw is that if you look at severe winters in Ireland over the last few years, if there's a severe storm and the roads are blocked or there's flooding or there's snow problems, we deploy the defence forces pretty quickly and they're willing to do it, and the community are highly appreciative of them doing that because it's a critical part of our infrastructure, particularly our transport infrastructure. Dublin Airport is a critical part of our transport infrastructure, and it is in crisis right now. It needs help. And we're talking probably about 100 members of the Defence Forces would help solve this. That's a small single 
number percentage of the availability of the defence forces. And we're also saying that they would be only tasked to support at peak times. And as the DEA continues to recruit people, which it's actively trying to do currently, like trying to take on 300 people right now, every one that they add on when they get, once they get through security clearance, the member of the Defence Forces can be stepped down. And the reason why the Defence Forces is particularly important for Dublin Airport is because they are security cleared. That's not possible with a whole cohort of other potential employees to bring to bear on this in the short term. And we're probably talking about the next four to 16 weeks has been a pinch point around this. But surely, Joe, did have to be trained in systems. I mean, you can't just put three or four members of the Defence Forces on a security belt and tell them, you know, off you go. They wouldn't have a clue, presumably, I, I imagine they wouldn't have a clue how to work the machines. The interaction with the public and what you can and can't do and what you can ask and demand of the public and, and all that kind of stuff, it would be very tricky, wouldn't it? I'm just not convinced of that argument. I mean, I think that it's to complement the existing staff. First of all, it's not to replace them. There are security people trained and staff working really hard in Dublin Airport. It's simply the number of lines that are open are not large enough. Um, I don't think it's beyond the wit of the airport working with the Defence Forces to uh, ensure that they're deployed in ways that are literally at the security lines and nothing further. And it's to help process volumes through those security lines. And I, I, I'd have complete faith in the Defence Force's capabilities. These people are well trained, they're professionals, and they're well capable of taking on these responsibilities for a short period of time. All right, well, that would certainly chime with the views of uh, Ryanair, who have uh, made a, a similar call. Just in terms of the outlook for uh, Irish tourism, Joe, um, are we in danger of losing our competitiveness where uh, we've had all of these horror stories about Car rental costs, for example, people having to pay a couple of grand for to rent a car for a week. And we know the horror stories about Dublin Airport, and that would obviously put a lot of travellers off if they think they have to queue for hours on end um, before being able to board a flight. Uh, and, you know, rising hoteliers are being accused of uh, price gouging and, you know, prices are rising across the economy. So it's a, it's a real problem for us, isn't it? It's definitely a danger, a danger point. Um, now, there is a relative aspect to this. Like we know that availability of rental cars is a problem across Europe. It's just the the extent to which prices seem to have been jacked up in Ireland looks particularly egregious relative to other markets. But there's no doubt that there is a problem with availability of rental cars in different markets around Europe. Similarly, with hotel availability, there's a problem actually with staffing levels in parts of continental Europe regarding hotel rooms, and that's having its own effect on room rates. But again, I'd absolutely concur with the idea that if the industry engages in price gouging, it will come back to bite them and bite this economy very, very hard. Um, in relation to the hotels, we know that a certain proportion of the stock has been sold at rates that are highly competitive, but it's just this last uh, minute availability rooms, if you like, the short booking um, section of, of, of the volume is where there seems to be price inflation. Now, that, that would be natural anyway. When you manage a booking system in a hotel, if you've only got so many rooms, a small percentage left to sell short in, they will be more expensive. It's just it does seem anecdotally as if some of these prices have gone through the roof. And that's very dangerous for the optics of the Irish tourism industry. All right, Joe Gill of Good Buddy Stockbrokers. We'll leave it there. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Mark Paul, Lorraine Sweeney and Joe Gill for joining me on the show. This episode was produced by Jennifer Ryan with JJ Vernon on sound. Thanks also to our sponsor EY for its continued support. 
Remember, you can get the latest business news straight into your email by signing up to our business today, Digest on irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business coverage each day on Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn. That's all for this week. Until next time, take care.